Ooh, are they going to issue me a gun? <laughs> you know, they don't do that for customer educators anymore, unfortunately. There's some federal <laughs> laws. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Dave here from C-Lab Podcast. If you're finding value in this podcast, we'd really like to get to know who you are. So we're going to ask you to click on our site and add yourself to our mailing list. We're going to agree not to spam you, but at some point in the future, we may have special events, certain podcasts we want you to join on, or we might even throw in a class or two. So sign up today. It's not going to cost you anything. And again, we promise not to bug you. Thanks, everybody. It's January 9th, 2019, and welcome to episode 10 of C-Lab. That's right, we're in the double digits of the Customer Education Lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I'm Adam Evermescu. And I'm Dave Darrington. And it's National Apricot Day, so I hope you are enjoying a delicious apricot with mm, a, a friend apricots. or family. Go down to Trader Joe's and get us some dried apricots or some nice juicy ones from the farmer's market. If it's seasonal where you live. <laughs> All right, so let's get into this. Um, let's frame this one up by saying you, listener, dear listener, have found your way into a customer education role. Congrats. We're super Thanks. excited for you. <laughs> now, if you're in a small organization or you're working on a brand new product, chances are, and, and I know I've experienced this, you have nothing. You have zip, zero, diddly squat to work with. There's no documentation, scant, sparse notes, and very likely you have an overworked product manager or other subject matter experts that's way too busy to deal with you. Oh, I've been there many, many a time. You know, if you think about this in terms of development and project management, there's nothing worse than finding out that content is a major blocker to project completion. So what do we do to get over this, Dave? Glad you asked, Adam. Well, let's go ahead and dive in and crush this topic. All right, Hulk smash. Hulk so smash. as always, <laughs> Hulk smash, as always, we begin with our hypothesis. So Dave, what are you thinking? How do we as customer educators tackle the source of the river of knowledge through discovery and knowledge gathering? Yeah, this is a great topic. So here's the hypothesis that we should test today. Again, we are scientists here in C-Lab. That is... Developing great customer education material depends upon subject matter experts and even more on leadership to support discovery and knowledge gathering efforts. So again, we want our to get SMEs, get in front of them, get their mind share, but we need leadership to help us out. So what do you think about that? It sounds like we're going to walk through a process today. So where do we start? All right. So let's start off with uh, the, the what you'd think to be obvious point, which is finding your experts, your subject matter experts. Do you think that's, think that's obvious, right? Like, who, do we, who are we going to find to talk to? Gosh, um, I don't know. Sometimes that's a struggle too, right? <laughs> yeah, I, and I'd say, uh, Adam, that from experience, the opposite is true. You know, you'd think it'd be really easy. You jump in a role, you're going to go start talking to people. And I've experienced at least, it's a lot harder than you think. So one thing I'd like to do first is l let's differentiate ourselves. Again, we are talking customer education. Typically, we're in an organization like a SaaS company, commonly a startup. Um, and I think we deviate a little bit from conventional training programs in larger organizations. So what that means, time moves faster, almost literally. And you're going to be working with some really, really 
busy people. Yeah, um, it's, it's dog years in startups a lot of the time, right? Just one year at absolutely. a startup can be like seven years for uh, another company. And, and a lot of the times that also means that the source of truth moves really quickly, right? So even if someone is an expert at what they do, it doesn't necessarily mean that even they have the most accurate and up-to-date info. That is that is more than true. That's that's just canon. <laughs> let, me, let, let me add in a little bit more reality to this. Uh, small organizations often have knowledge locked in the heads of the people. So, you know, which people specifically know the thing that you need to get out? And to answer this question, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, Adam, you got to walk the organization. You got to walk around. You got to talk to people. Uh, when I was at various companies, you know, Gainsight and other things before, uh, I would walk the floor, meet people, talk to people, tell them my role. And, you know, in, and you also need to talk with leadership in different areas because nobody's going to have the right answer. Quite often, I, I tend to find people more in a services role that are the ones like solutions architects and such that, man, these folks know their stuff. Or they could be a project manager. Um, they might even be a project manager and onboarding specialist. So... Overall, I'd say like finding your expert isn't always easy and that, you know, just like you diversify an investment portfolio, you need to get multiple perspectives. Yeah. I also like using the, uh, the one plus two or one plus three effect where when you find that person, that, that project manager or that solution architect or the product manager, um, you ask them for the names of two or three other people where they get their information from. Yeah. You yeah. could also do that if you walk in, who's delivering training today? Okay, well, where did that person get their content from? So you can kind of whittle your way back to who, who actually has the knowledge. Yeah, and it's harder than you think because you start peeling away layers and, and finding, oh, this person knows this. But, and then, and we'll get into this more as we start talking about how the techniques work. Uh, anyway, bottom line is you need to talk to a number of people to get a full perspective. All right, so what next? So this is where I like to say, become an investigative journalist. Sounds crazy, huh? Oh, man, that's hard. We're living in a post-truth society. How can you be an investigative journalist these days? <laughs> well, hear me out. So I'm going to go back to my alma mater, University of Missouri-Columbia. Uh, and ironically, they have one of the leading schools of journalism, square in the United St in the middle of the United States, in Missouri. Really cool school. Um, now, this I found this on Wikipedia. And uh, it comes from University of Missouri Journal Professor Steve Weinberg, where he defined investigative journalism as reporting through one's own initiative, now hang on to that word, and work product, matters of importance to readers, viewers, or to listeners. And I can give you a link to that. There's a, a book on that in the Reporter's Handbook. Now, it seems crazy a little bit to talk about that investigative journalism role, but I think for me, I always put myself in that frame of reference. I'm walking into to an organization. I don't know anything about the product. How am I going to get information from people? So I, I, I put my hat on, you know, and think I'm like a reporter. And I realized like a reporter thinks of their readers or viewers or whatever. I'm thinking about our customers. And how can, I'm like, they're dependent on me to get the truth. What's the material? Organize it, get it to them all in the sensible way. And to do that, we have to be just doggedly pursuing it. That's our job. What do you think? 
it's hard to doggedly pursue the truth in a post-truth society, and especially <laughs> with uh, our startups that move so quickly and, and knowledge changes really quickly. But I, I, I agree with you. I think that's really important. And I also think that it's equally important to be thinking about how do you uh, craft a compelling narrative? Because you know, even though an investigative journalist is often um, reporting on facts, they still have to frame up those facts and, and those stories in a way that creates a compelling narrative and delivers information to their audience in a way that's really clear and concise. Uh, when, when I was at the University of Texas, I took a, a really good course on advanced expository writing by um, a professor named John Trimble, and he wrote this book, Writing with Style. And you know, for, for me, that, that's kind of my equivalent uh, Bible in terms of journalistic writing. Speaking of reading and writing, I, I was actually just reading an article today by Melissa Milloway. Uh, she's a learning experience designer at Amazon. She writes a, a column on LinkedIn. I totally recommend that you follow her. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put her information in the show notes. Uh, but she writes a lot on L&D and content development best practices. And even though a lot of it's from an internal company perspective, because she does internal L&D at Amazon, the lessons about content development, I think, are directly translatable in a lot of cases. Because you know, even though the audience is different, content development is still content development in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And she shared an article called, Here's How an Organization Loses Trust in Its Own L&D Team. And the reasons that she gave in that article, I think, would sound really familiar to most of us. Have you ever had an organization lose trust in, in, your, uh, in, in a customer education team? In a customer education team? I've, I've seen the L&D team, but uh, not necessarily the customer education team. Have you had that experience? I've definitely had some uh, risky moments where I wasn't listening enough to my stakeholders, and I, I felt... Uh, maybe in danger of losing some trust. So, you know, th- some of the reasons she gave, and maybe this will sound familiar to some people listening, is that first of all, just leaving stakeholders hanging. So, one of the examples mm-hmm. she gave was, you know, a lot of the time we get asked for something that really isn't training. So, when we're about to do our discovery and our investigative journalist, we're thinking about the end product, um, but the person who's asking us for it doesn't necessarily know what the story is, so to speak. So. You know, they ask for something that isn't training. So maybe, you know, the example she gave was, uh, we want everyone to learn about the company's social media policy. And in their minds, that's learning, right? That's something that someone should learn. Mm -hmm. Uh, From a customer education standpoint, we hear this all the time too, right? Like, I need our customers to learn about feature X. But in a lot of cases, that's not training. That's a communications plan. And instead of doing our due diligence and letting them know, hey, you know, I I thought about this. I thought about the instructional uh, objective. I think at the end of the day, training isn't going to be the most effective route to go. We just kind of say, see you later, and we never follow up with them. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, actually, I've seen something like this, Adam, where in one of the last organizations I worked in, I was asked, hey, we need to do just that. We need to teach people how to do this thing. And... Um, I gathered in requirements, like what do you want to do, what, what do you want the outcome to be, delivered it, and then people complained. Now, this was internal, mind you, not customers. Well, this is a little too technical, or this isn't what I was expecting, when I still had what I thought were clear requirements. And Yeah. yeah. And, and I think you know, the other one that she brought up is, is almost the opposite of that, which is just saying yes to everything without doing our investigative journalism and, and our consulting. So this is the scenario where the VP comes and says, uh, you know, this is the example Melissa gave. We need two four-hour face-to-face classes on how to use an expense reporting tool. And uh, what are we going to do for new hires who start later? Oh, well, we'll record it. Of course, <laughs> we'll just re- we'll just record those sessions. I mean, I, I even had this happen recently to me at Checker, where one of our subject matter experts 
uh, was hosting basically a two-day info dump for new people on his team, and they were going to record it um, so that other internal people could benefit from it. And, you know, it, it's it's good to get the, the knowledge out of that person's head, but there's a, still a lot of work that's going to need to go into crafting that into something that's that's usable. And a lot of the time, instead of saying, hey, we really need to craft all of this raw information into something that is learnable, we just get intimidated and we say, yes, VP, of course I will do that. Yeah, that's that's a really great perspective. Like we we can't always say yes. I mean, we, we again, bringing it back to the goal, we're an investigative journalist. We're trying to, fit, and an investigative journalist thinks about the audience and thinks about what we need to get and then pursues that. And sometimes that involves well, you know, I have to say no to you on this one thing because that doesn't align with what our customers or audience needs. Yeah. And so then, you know, you mentioned earlier that often in fast-moving companies, getting SMEs and, and just getting their time is one of the hardest things to do. So how do you approach that, Dave? Yeah, this was a big topic, and, and I feel pretty strongly about this. And if, if you uh, that, that are listening to this today, uh, you know, you're, particularly if you're brand new, if you've been around a little bit, you, you're, you're going to get what we're going to share here. One, the number one thing that I experienced in all my roles, now this actually goes outside of customer education into consulting even where um, I was doing some big knowledge transfer projects. The people you're gonna be talking to are really overworked and they're extremely stressed, right? Why, because again, you're in a startup, you're in SaaS, we're moving in dog gears like Adam, you just said. So you might not even be well staffed. So everybody is running around like, you know, chicken with a head cut off. Um, and that's a problem. So you're going to ask them for their time, and they're going to go, um, time is money, my friend. I'm in services. Or maybe they're in product and go, we've got the next iteration coming out. I've got to finish the sprint. So where are you at? Yeah, I, I always used to struggle with that at Optimizely, too, because a lot of the time our uh, subject matter experts were on the services team, and they had billable hours. So how were we going to carve out time for them to transfer their subject matter expertise and at the same time still, you know, hit their their targets. I'm also thinking a little bit about, you know, that that article that I mentioned earlier by Melissa Milloway. Uh, one other reason that she gave that L&D teams lose credibility was just not getting included up front. So if we're not actually showing up where our product teams are showing up, if we're not showing up where our services teams are showing up, we end up missing requirements for major projects. So if we don't identify the right stakeholders early and actually show up to their meetings, be part of their requirements gathering, then oftentimes we're not going to be able to ask the right questions so that we're actually included appropriately downstream. And then they come I mean, to us last minute and they say, hey, where were you? Why, why don't you have learning on this already? So this goes along with some of the thinking and the things that, that I've liked to do is to go embedded and just to be engaged and to listen and understand and the more that I get in with product and services, the more that I personally can understand what they're dealing with and actually kind of uh, subsume that information, right? Is that, is that where you're going with that? So we, we've moved from investigative journalism to embedded journalism. <laughs> now we're on the front lines. Ooh, are they going to issue me a gun? <laughs> you know, they don't do that for customer educators anymore, unfortunately. There's some federal laws. <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Um, hey, let's let's go into another topic here with this. Again, we're talking about the getting SME time. Uh, the other thing that I've experienced, and, and I'm sure you have as well, is I've run across individuals who just don't get it. They don't see the value of my role or your role as a customer educator. And 
they go, look, I'm busy. We already established that. And some of the times you might be, and this goes on to one of our earlier podcasts where we were talking about, you might be a customer success manager and you're doing training. You might like that. You might also be a, a solution architect or somebody in services and you do training and it's ad hoc atras. There's that word again. Um, part of your job though is to convince people that this is going to make their life easier. It's going to take that load away, that, that um, you know, what, is, what do we call that? Um, oh, I lost the term. Basically, it's going to pull off that, all that mental time that they have to focus on shifting gears and teaching somebody how to use something over and over again. Oh, right? like switching costs. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, now, this comes with problems because one of the things that I've seen is that sometimes people really like to do training. And they might be in a customer success manager role or a solution architect role. So they also might feel threatened. And this is one where, you, you know, I'm sure you've had this feeling, and I know I've done this before, and I'm chagrined. I know everything about some topic, and I want to hold it closely guarded and not really share that with anybody on my team because then I feel like I'm devalued. And that doesn't help anybody, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's kind of a broader organizational problem there if, if your organization promotes um, or encourages people to hoard their knowledge and not share it with other people. Right. But you're right, it can can create a problem nonetheless. You know, I I think one thing, though, when you're talking about convincing people that there's benefit in there for them Mm -hmm. um, and that it can take away some of that load and can take away some of those uh, cognitive switching costs, you're right, there's a term for that, and I'm I'm not remembering it either. Um, Part of it is you you can't just do that by telling them. You, You have to do it by showing them. And... If you can get a couple of really high-quality projects out um, and you can see that reaction from customers, then that also, I've found, at least can start to turn the tide for internal subject matter experts as well. Like, as your credibility grows, that, that can become easier. Oh, that's fabulous. So basically, you know, through NPS or, you know, likes or whatever it is, then you can demonstrate that your body of work has really helped the customer. Again, that might be a a data thing where you're showing the value of it and you're getting them to feed back. That's a really good point. I really like that. Sometimes, sometimes it's data and sometimes, honestly, it's just hearing that customer feedback. Like I, I think that in the early days, sometimes as you start to put projects out there and you just hear that great customer feedback, like every once in a while, you might just have one of those money quotes that shows up or word <laughs> just starts to go get through the grapevine where, um, you know, the CSM or the services person just starts hearing back from the customer, man, I, I love that training. All of that helps. Yeah, that, no, that's totally cool. And then that, you know, having people tell us that we're doing a great job, super beneficial. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you a question. What do you think or what do you do when somebody just says, nope, not going to do it? What's your strategy, Adam? Oh, man, no, I'm just not going to give you any of this information. Yeah. Have you had that before? Yeah, I've definitely had, I mean, I haven't had a, a straight up no. I've had, I don't have time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had, you know, is this important? And I think those are valid questions to entertain. You, you kind of got to go back to the, the business case here. If the information that the subject matter expert's supposed to give you is related to, let's say, a major product release, and if you don't get that information from them, the customers aren't going to be educated on that product, well, then I start to ask the question, what, what are the trade-offs if we, if we don't do this? What's the impact to the customer going to be? Um, or who else in the organization might be as disappointed as I am if that training is not going to go out? And 
that's probably where I'd start to have conversations, not just with the person who said no to me and help them understand that perspective, um, but also maybe start talking to the other people who are going to be equally affected um, by that decision. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? What do you, what do you do? Well, one of the things that I like to do first is start to compel them. You know, number one, no is not an acceptable answer ever. If I go to go to my leadership, they're going to go, why didn't you do this? And it's on me. So I'm pretty compelled to get this information. I'm going to figure it out. However, I can. The power Um, of Dave compels you. (laughs) So number one, I mean, we've already talked about this. We can't have information locked in people's heads. We've got to get it out, get it on paper or pixels. And we come back to that customer pain. It's palpable. It affects our NPS. It affects all kinds of things up to and leading to potentially churn, right? And we're, we're, again, I assert that customer education is the pillar of customer success. So getting data information in the hands of our customers is is one of our our, our, our core initiatives. It has to be. Um, Now, when it doesn't work, here are some things that I do. Number one, I encourage, encourage, and I'm using air quotes. Can you see them? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, um. (laughs) In my head, because they're air quotes. (laughs) <laughs> in your head. Um, initially, you really need to get on good terms with people. So, you know, it's, uh, what, what is that book? Uh, How to Make Friends and Influence People. Well, I can't remember mm-hmm. the title of the book. Um, but anyway, win, win, win friends. Yeah. Win friends and influence people. You, you need to get on good terms with everybody and they need to understand what you're doing. And it sounds funny, but, you know, maybe you sit down to lunch with somebody at work that you need to talk to, or maybe you just go out and buy your favorite snack or a beer. And you know, we're not talking ridiculous bribery here, but just a, an acknowledgement that this person is particularly important to you, to the company, and to the customers. Yeah, because I don't think it's really about like the bribe per se. It's about having some meaningful one-on-one time with them outside of the formal meeting. Exactly. And then, like, and I spent a pretty long time in my career as a consultant in project management. And here's the word: escalation. Um, if all else fails, I'm going to have to go to their boss. But I like to do it this way. And, you know, you may have had a similar experience. I'm not going to be a jerk. I will just say to the person, okay, I acknowledge you don't have time. And a lot of times what they'll say to me, Dave, I really want to help you. I really do. But here's, I've got 70 hours a week on, on my backlog. I've got to get all these things done. You know, can you go to my manager and say, hey, you know, I've told you this is really important. I want to do this. I don't have time. Can you get some time for me? And that's probably one of the best ways to do it because usually I have their acceptance. I have their understanding. And then instead of getting all defensive, I go back to their manager and say, hey, I need some time. And then it might get into a conversation of, um, well, time is money and this customer is really important and I can't do it. In which case, and I think this is a bold assertion, Adam, maybe you'll say so. In which case, if you're just blocked, then it may actually be time to start thinking about your alternatives because your company needs to make sure that they enable you to get the information you need. And, you know, if you can't get it, are you going to get really good customer education? If you're not set up for success in your role, whatever that role is, then it's time to either figure out how to change that at your company or figure out, you know, (laughs) whether there's another company that's going to not have that problem. But, you know, that's always a gamble either way. It is. It is. It totally is. All right. So now that we've talked about working with our subject matter experts and let's say that we've gotten their time, we actually have to get the material in place. Mm-hmm. So this is actually, you know, I think these next few episodes will be a little bit of a mini series on content development. We'll explore a few different topics related to how to produce great content, but I think it is worth covering here. 
So let's cool. let's say let's say Dave, you have a SME, you mm-hmm. have their time. How do you get what you need? Well, instructional design has the answer for us. Now, typically, there's a process called Addy, mm-hmm. and if there's any instructional designers listening right now, they know exactly what I'm talking about. They probably have strong opinions about it because there are Addy people and there are non-Addy people. And so what does Addy stand for? It stands for analysis, design, development, implementation, and evaluation. And so that's a process that instructional designers go through to go from the inception of a project to the release of a project. But well, what, Dave, what other um, what what other techniques though are there? Because I've 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 heard of a few more. I think I'm reading about one. I'll let you speak to them. But so if you're a non-Addy, what do you do? Yeah, well, you were just reading the the Michael Allen book recently, right? Yep, I am. I'm, I'm inhaling it. It's great. Yeah. So he he does. I think he has another book out called uh, Leaving Addy for Sam. And what he's addressing there is there are some inherent problems with Addy in this day and age. Because Addy was designed in a world where information works a little bit differently, and we didn't necessarily have access to the same resources, and frankly, uh, a lot of content that we developed didn't move as fast and didn't have as quick of a, a, a sunset date. So what he proposed was a different system, and it was called SAM, which is the successive approximation model. So whereas Addy is very much, you know, if, if you think about software development, Addy is a waterfall process. You do analysis, and then when analysis is over, you do design. Um, When design is over, you have a design doc, that gets approved, and you do development. And you spend all this time developing Mm -hmm. it. And frankly, by the time that you implement whatever you're trying to implement, the subject matter around it might have changed. Or maybe you're evaluating the success of it, and it's been months or even sometimes years for you to put together this project. So how do you do a more rapid development or agile cycle? And that's what SAM is all about. So how it works is instead of doing this full analysis up front, you do what he calls a savvy start. uh, And then you start going through a few iterations of analysis and design and development. And you iterate your way progressively. So you analyze, you design, you develop. You analyze, you design, you develop. You analyze, you design, you develop based on the feedback that you're getting. So you're always putting something in front of your customer. And it lets you test, learn, and iterate. And so, you know, like, oh, go ahead. No, I think that's really fun. And you know what the, the irony when I when I learned about Sam is that I feel like I naturally fell into this. That I've always been an agile kind of person. And I I vie in customer education, my big thing is I want to get information to a customer quickly. And for me, I'm okay with it being maybe not the top quality, maybe not everything, but it's out there, particularly when I have squat. And, and that Agile, it, it makes sense because I'm like, okay, get some information, get it out. Get some information, get it out. Make it better, make it better. And that just flows really well. Yeah, and, and you know, when you think about the difference between something like Addy, which is very traditional and very waterfall, and something like Sam, which is a little more iterative, you can remove one of those base assumptions that all the information that you need for this course or for this learning content exists. Yeah. Because it might not, right? You have, sometimes it's going to change. It, yeah, it certainly might exist. And you know, though, I, I want to ask you this question, because this is something that I feel in Addy, and maybe even Sam, maybe not so much, but I kind of feel that both of these techniques presume that you have information to work with. And and that one of the big things we need to bring, like, at least I want to bring awareness to, if it's not immediately obvious, is that, that the, the cycle of interviewing and reviewing content, and I, I've got an example I could share with you in a second, 
But that interview process where that investigative, where we are that investigative journalist and the review process is where I go back and I get this material and I put it in front of that person I interviewed is a big part. It, it's kind of pre-analysis, right? Well, it's kind of pre-post where you know what, you know what I need, now I go after it. So I think it's implicit. What, what do you think about that? I think what Sam would probably have to say is that interviewing happens during that analysis and design loop. So mm-hmm. as you design and develop something, then you put it out for review. Then you go back to analyzing the feedback from that. You do a little more design, a little more development, and then you put something else out there to review. So those are probably happening in those little internal loops. But mm-hmm. I think you're right to say that in Addy, it's really only happening at the beginning and the end. So I think adding adding those in and really thinking consciously about who you're interviewing, how you're interviewing, how you're getting all that subject matter, and then how you're reviewing it and putting that out frequently in front of customers is crucial. Absolutely. And and I think we can abbreviate this a little bit. The one thing I'd like to tell is a a personal story. So I had this amazing opportunity, Adam, where I was a um, business analyst, project manager, and and I worked uh, for a company called Doherty Business Solutions. So I was a consultant traveling, you know, the whole bit. We had this really cool process. It was called 442. And what it was is we would sit down, and this was great for knowledge transfer. And I did some crazy knowledge transfer projects, like really deep technical stuff. The cool thing about this, and, and you can adapt, and I think the SAM uh, methodology is actually pretty similar, where you sit down and you gather information, usually with a person. And then you go back and you, re- and you write it up, and you get it into a con- context that makes sense. And then you go present it to them, and then they review it, and they give you feedback, and you loop. So the concept of the Agile, the loop, if you're in SaaS more than anything, I think Addy could work theoretically, but I think I lean more towards these Agile proto, uh, agile methodologies because I'm constantly quick looping and getting stuff out. Hey, you know, we work with software a lot of the time that's Agile, so why shouldn't our processes be Agile as well? Totally. You know, and Bill Cashard, um, I think he has a book coming out on this very thing, the, the Agile project or the Agile marketer, where, you know, we're using those terminologies in all kinds of parts of our industry. Yeah. So Dave, why don't you boil it down for us? What's what's the core process we should be using to do great discovery? Certainly. And and I think in future podcasts, we're going to go down deeper into this. But let's just say you're working with a subject matter expert. The, the real basic of this, and if you're the basis of this, and if you're just starting out, here's what I would recommend, maybe we would recommend for you to do, is number one, get your SMEs, you know, get your subject matter experts, know where they are, get their time. And then once you've got that time, with each subject matter expert, you're going to find a room. And, I, and I, I joke about this, but I'm actually dead serious. Get them in a room, lock the door, you know, or, or maybe put them in not a Not creepy at all. Not creepy at all. But I like to say that because it emphasizes the fact that you're not going to get out for, until I get some information. Um, means put the phone away, sit down, let's talk seriously about the product and, um, and really get to understand it. And what I really love to do is sit down with, with folks and like, well, you know, tell me the backstory. How did we get here? What do you know? How did this work? You know, what what are the things that excite you? What like it's a really good interview section. Um, push back. At the same time, questions. I think being being sensitive to maybe what they have out there already. So if they've done uh, a tech talk or if they've done a training, watch that first or be familiar with that first, so that the questions you're asking are more intelligent and you're not you know refusing to engage with the the existing material they put out there. Absolutely. And, and if you do have that, it's glorious. And usually I'll say, hey, well, I've done all this and this and this. And I say, can I, can I follow up with you? And then we push the boundaries. We ask harder questions. We, we uncover, you know, turn over every rock. Um, 
draw pictures, do all that stuff, and then sit back, let them go back to work, write it up, take the time, and then review it. Rinse, wash, repeat, it's pretty easy. Again, it complies with, um, with the standard Agile methodology. And uh, at the end, don't forget to thank your SMEs, right? Oh my God, yes. Like, you gotta realize their time is super valuable. And, and I know you've had the similar experience and you're working with subject matter expert and they're working ridiculous hours and they're tired. Thank them, you know, take them out for dinner, um, send them a little gift, buy some chocolates, their favorite beer, yeah. whatever you wanna do, but just understand it. Ultimately your job, and I think this is a hard thing to understand and I've seen people struggle with this where they think they can work in a box. Hey, I've got documentation, I'm just gonna build this. Yet this is a team effort. You can't work in isolation. And you, you, need your subject, you need your subject matter experts until you become one. Totally. I, I, I agree. You, know, you, you, have a, you made a comment to me earlier about really poor content often coming from people who um, might know instructional design per se, but they don't touch the product and, and they don't talk to an expert. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? Yeah, that's pretty scary. So yeah, you're right. Thank your SMEs. Um, you know, show them that you you care and you appreciate them personally. Uh, you, you know, you also said the leaders who support them too. That might be important too. Absolutely. Oh yeah. And and, and if you've gotten some extra time and a leader has said, look, I'm going to take time out when they could be making money with a client. That's huge. Definitely. Yeah. Thank thank everybody for that. And even if you don't end up taking them out to dinner or buying them whiskey or whatever, appreciation is free. <laughs> and and, it, and it's, it's meaningful, right? It is meaningful to be recognized for, for helping. Totally. All right. So to summarize this week's lesson, let's wrap up with a clear call to action. Get out your uh, Kindle Paperwhite, your, your uh, iPad, your piece of paper, and answer a few questions, particularly if you're just starting out or if you're struggling with getting the information you need. Consider the steps we talked about. So Dave, you want to run through some action items? Yeah, let's make it real quick here. So number one, find your SMEs, your subject matter experts. Your subject matter experts. Who are they? Get a list. Go talk to them. Become that investigative journalist. You know, we have to learn. I would argue that we as customer education professionals need to understand the material. If we don't understand it, how can we help other people to do so? Organize it, present it in a good way, and doggedly pursue the truth, you know, like you said, we're in a post-truth economy, whatever. <laughs> in SAS, we got to get the truth on paper. Get your Not the alternative time. facts. <laughs> Indeed, or fake news. Get your SMEs time. You know, beg, plead, bribe if you have to. I say that jokingly. Um, and then get the material. And, you know, a good, uh, like, we talked about Sam. We talked about Addy. Your choice. But make sure to spend a lot of time interviewing people, be courteous to, their, to your subject matters experts' time, thank them profusely, turn over every stone, review material, ask questions, and get it right, and then make sure you review at the end of the process. Very, very cool. So if you, listener, want to learn more, we have a podcast website at customer.education. Just put a little HTTPS in there and maybe like a, a colon and a couple forward slashes and then type customer, period, education. No.com, no.net, no.edu. And there you can find our show notes and other material. And please, if you found value in this podcast, share with your friends, share with your peers, write us a, a, a nice, concise, but constructive review on your uh, 
your iTunes or your Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume podcasts. It will really help us find the others. So I am at Avermescu on Twitter. And I'm at Dave Darrington, also on Twitter. And to our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out there and educate, experiment, find your people. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. Adam here from the C-Lab Podcast. I'm proud to announce that I just released a new book. It's called Customer Education, Why Smart Companies Profit by Making Customers Smarter. You can actually find it now on Amazon.com in ebook or in print format. Uh, you could also do bit.ly slash customer education. Made you an easy little bit.ly link. So I'd really appreciate it if you pick a copy up and let me know what you think. Thanks, everyone.